This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or like sort of understated or what this is a land that prays for a hero the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival you are listening to greening the apocalypse on triple r102.7 fm Oh yes, and good evening. Welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, three triple R's weekly foray into a very unusual future uh, as we seek to find some of the solutions and perhaps the rudder that could turn this crazy burning ship around. Uh, Bush is my name. I'm just going to introduce our guest in a wee little moment, but as a taster for what's to come tonight, have a bit of a listen to this. More minds, more jobs, more future isn't just a billboard slogan. It's a pithy attempt to try and convince the community if you just exclude everything else, forget the farmland, it's just jobs, jobs, prosperity, jobs. We need businesses and we need jobs here. All our kids are having to leave town. I think we need some positives for the community, otherwise we're just you know, losing everything. Here in rural Queensland, the unclaimed billboard on the outskirts of Kingaroy is a mystery to the locals. But they have some interesting theories as to where it comes from. Do you know anything about that sign? No, I don't, and I've tried to find out, but I don't know. I think it was the the coal mine people themselves put that up. Do you reckon the guy on the land owns the sign, or...? Someone would have asked him to put it up there. I'd be very suspicious of the bloke that lives there. He bought that place and then sold it to someone else for $500,000. There's something really dodgy went on there. Has anyone ever come up to you before and been like, what's up with that sign? Probably wouldn't surprise me, but most people read it. Now I've been here for a long time and now I've got pretty big dogs and that around the yard here, so... It's a mystery emblematic of the fractured trust and paranoia of the small community. Yeah, we have had people that are really angry with us and they were ringing up here. They hold us responsible because we're... um fighting against it. You find there's a lot of dishonesty, very few morals. If they want to put the sign up, fine, but stand up and say who you are. My name is Nicola, and you can listen to the documentary At the Coalface on nfds.org.au. So the question is, who owns, who owns a sign? I don't know. Indeed. And uh, her name is Nicola, Nicola Van Wettering, and uh, she is all the way from sunny Brisbane, here in sunny Melbourne. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. What? <laughs> hello. I gave you three. You gave me three. With. Yeah, we usually have a th- three welcome policy here. <laughs> uh, so what we just heard then was a bit of a snippet of a documentary that you've lodged for... For what? Well, what's it for? Uh, so it's for the National Features and Documentary Series, which is a program that's funded by the CBAA, so the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Mm-hmm. So uh, every year they put out um, grants, basically, to uh, emerging producers from community radio across Australia. So generally they try and pick at least one um, from each state and territory around the country uh, to produce a documentary, basically, of their choice. So yep. um, there was a couple produced... Uh, out here in Melbourne, there was some, you know, out in Western Australia, Tasmania, New South Wales, 
and I was lucky enough to be one of the people selected for Queensland. So uh, awesome. Yeah, that was the thing. So we're going to have a good old chat tonight. Uh, you, you are here on many a very topic. We're going to discuss uh, further. You're um, at the Coalface documentary. We're going to we're going to talk a bit about your dad who shows up <laughs> in the documentary. Um, we're going to discuss uh, also the interesting PhD you're studying, which, uh, well, it can it's involved coal, but it's sort of... From an unusual perspective, we'll get to that in a bit. Hey, but in the in the first instance, let's have a bit of a chat. So you you're all the way down from four four Z FM in Brisbane, which is a community radio. So is that the what would you say that's the flagship prim, uh, community station in Brizzy? Yeah, so four triple Z's the um, I think it's the second oldest community station in the country, actually. Um, so it's been around for quite a while. It was originally based at University of Queensland, which yep. is where I do my PhD, but uh, actually got kicked out. Uh, by the uh, sort of young liberals who came into power in the union uh. Uh, a while ago. So they moved around and ended up moving into the city, um, which is where they're still based out of today. So, yeah, they're sort of the main uh, community station uh, up in Brisbane, yep. um, but they broadcast sort of all around on their FM channel and their uh, and their digital channel as well. Yep. And is it a similar structure to Triple R where we've got subscribers and uh, businesses that Supported or yes, yes. So pretty much uh, almost exactly the same uh, uh, concept, but with a Queensland flavour. Oh, okay. Um, so it's up on stilts. Yeah. Well, our building. Funny that you speak of it. Um, is uh sort of a three-story, very narrow, um, like a stairs affair. So it's nothing like a Triple R, which is sort of nicely spaced out, sort of brick-shaped building. It's yeah. a tall, narrow thing, which can be quite difficult to navigate at times. Yeah, <laughs> the big difference is Bushy. They wear their thongs all year round. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Or oh, no at all. I hope I complimented you enough in emails. It was a, I really enjoyed listening to the doco. I thought it was pretty slick. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's called At the Coalface. Can you give us an overview of the documentary and tell us why this story grabbed your interest in the first place? Um, so to give you sort of just the general pitch for the documentary, essentially... Um, uh, part of where I grew up is in rural Queensland, um, in the most conservative electorate in the country. <laughs> um, and out there, there uh, about a year ago now, a billboard popped up um, that says more mines, more jobs, more future. And basically nobody knew where the billboard came from. It just sort of appeared on the side of um, one of the rural highways out there. And so one of the things was I, I saw this sort of when I moved back to Australia and I was like, what what's up what's up with that it's like <laughs> it's very uh, very affronting and it's very bold and i sort of wanted to get to the bottom of that and it turns out sort of why that billboard went up has a lot to do with uh, mining in the area both in the past and coming into the future now so there's actually a, a coal an open pit coal mine proposal um that that area is faced with right right now as we speak mm. happening um and that community has its reaction to it has been very interesting because it's something where you can't specifically say if the community is totally for it or totally against it because yeah. they come from this very interesting uh, political background. Yeah, so just touching on that interesting political background, off air you were talking, uh, so where you're originally from is um, also the home of the late and not that great Joe Bjarke-Peterson. Uh, talk a bit about that because that the vibe that S Sir Joe and Lady Flo left on the area st it still seems to carry through to this day. You're, you're saying? Oh yes, totally. So, I mean, out there, it's people think of Queensland as a sort of like backwater, very conservative place to be. Um, I would argue that uh, most places you go in Queensland aren't really like that, but this place certainly 
doesn't uh, it plays Sorry, this to place the stereotype. Being specifically Kingaroy. Uh, Kingaroy specifically the town of Kingaroy, uh, which is in the South Burnett, which is the region, yep. um, which is the electorate of Maranoa, which is actually quite a large area. Um, that's sort of a central south. East, Western Queensland—it's yeah. it's huge. It's massive. It covers yeah, yeah. A, a very large area. Um, but the perception of Derby Elkie Peterson, in particular, out there is is positive. It's very, very positive, mm. um, which is interesting because if you go basically anywhere else in the state, um, people don't don't believe that. They sort of look back to the times of Derby Elkie Peterson and um, swear a lot, yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. But but out there. Um, they sort of, I would say, they haven't moved moved on from those days, and there's a strong sort of uh, nationalist uh, vibe that still exists to that day in that area. It's incredibly conservative. It's one of the the uh, few electorates in the entire country, for instance, that surveyed against same sex marriage. Uh. Um, it's been uh, you know sort of a, a mixed uh, nationals and uh, independent, and recently LNP seat. Uh, at, a, at a state level, so I don't think anyone from the Labor Party has ever held uh, any office in that in that area. Actually, I, I grew up in Maranara in um, in Dolby uh, initially, and then uh, Warwick, which is not in Maranara, is further on the Southern Downs. And yeah, it is um, one of the most conservative places you mm. could ever hope to be. Yeah. And it's interesting because when we were chatting, I was a bit shattered you know, when I said I grew up in Dolby and, and Nicola said, oh, that's the mining town. Uh, no, yeah, no, it it, I town. thought it was a farming town. Yeah, it's really, it's coal, it's coal mm. seam gas country and that's it's, really the first thing that comes to mind and that's mm. partly because of what I do with my job and being around people who do a lot of uh, coal geology but also because that's sort of what it's, um, the culture of it and what it's sort of become now. Mm. So, Yeah. Um, and it's just interesting as well. So, I mean, yeah, we're here in Melbourne. I mean, I'm I'm not that far from Melbourne. I'm only about an hour's drive out, so I'm certainly not what I would refer to as deep country. You know, where you, you know drive hours and hours and hours. But uh, I would say there's a pretty city centric perspective. You know, that we in Melbourne and surrounds have when you're looking at coal mines or you're looking at it might be logging or, or, or resource uh, extraction generally. And, and quite broadly, I guess, the brush stroke that the, the folks in the city tend to give these things is they're, they're bad, shut them down. It's probably uh, oversimplifying things a bit. But everything else, everything has a lot more detail and, and a lot more of a human face to this story, and it, and it plays out a long way away from the cities. Um, you were starting to talk about sort of the fracture in the community up there. So maybe if you could chat to us a little bit um, about, you know, the community up there, how are they siding up in the debate, what people are saying for mining, against mining. Um, is there a sort of a middle ground that people are starting to find or anything like that? Well, uh, the thing is with this community um, and something that's important to understand is it's quite uh, socioeconomically, it's it's not particularly wealthy and there's not... Um, the main employing industries, at least in Kingaroy, are either farming peanuts um, or working at the local abattoir. There's a very, mm. very large abattoir that's there. Um, or people work at a mine and a power station that's about 25 kilometres away. Mm. Um, so that mine um, uh, called Miandu and the power station, which is called Tarong, um, have been out there for quite some time. And that's originally why I migrated there, because um, my father worked at the power station. Yeah. But people see this as um, something that would would bring would bring sort of wealth and um, something to the area to sort of pick it up out of sort of this um, this sort of poverty I guess would mm. be the 
you know, if I've got to, going to be frank about it, pick them up out of this poverty and give them something um, to work for. And I think it's easy to forget sometimes when we live in the city um, that people out there, the reason they're for these things isn't because they want to wreck the environment. No. It's because they desperately, they really, really, really want jobs. And when someone comes up to them and says, oh, we should just shut down all the mines, they see that as a personal threat to their, their potential yeah. livelihood. So they get Obviously, emotions start running incredibly high. Yeah, it's like if someone came to Melbourne and said, "Let's shut down all the coffee shops." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. so it's like it's it's really this sort of people get incredibly defensive and incredibly aggressive um, mm. towards these type of ideas. But the thing that's interesting about this community is that they've had um, they've had operations in the past to do with underground coal gasification. Um, that has gone sort of wrong in that area that has led a big part of the community to actually be against to be against mining or in this case a particular company um, so you have this interesting thing where you have a bunch of people who really really want desperately want jobs and you also have a bunch of people who have basically been burned in the past by a company coming in and telling them that they'll give them jobs and prosperity and it going terribly the worst way it could possibly go wrong yeah. for them. So you, you're, what you're left with is you're left with a group of people, who, groups of people who are fighting against each other to either bring a coal mine into town or to shut it all down. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty wild. And I got some pretty um, interesting phone calls from people I didn't even know calling me up, telling me about why I should or shouldn't do do a production out there. So yeah, right. Hey, um, you just mentioned the underground coal gasification, and that's uh, worth defining the terms there because it wouldn't be familiar to everyone. Can you tell us a bit about what that actually is, and um, maybe where it went so wrong up in Kingaroy? So uh, underground coal gasification. Uh, is the process in which the, the coal is burned uh, under the ground and basically there's sort of a pipe that goes in. Um, I'm simplifying this a lot. Yeah. We're um, using the, vi- visuals as well. Visuals. So um, <laughs> there is a vertical a, a vertical to horizontal uh, drill hole that goes uh, into the coal seam. Um, they uh, burn essentially the coal and another pipe comes out from the coal seam and it takes the gas out and it's compressed. And so you have something called syngas, synthetic gas, but, or gas that's just burnt from the coal. Um, which, so that is a very simplistic sounding process. Yeah. But um, as anything with geology and me being a geologist, I can tell you it's not as simple as it seems and the way they sell it. So there's a lot of different things that can go wrong in that process. Uh, the main one being that um, to do with different geology, you can have the interaction of the water, the groundwater, uh, with that burning cavity or mm. the migration of gases or fluids from burning the coal itself going into the water table, which is specifically um, one of the risk factors and one of the things that happened in Kingaroy is that they detected carcinogens in their in their water table after this operation started and shut down. Mm. So. Um, so that is specifically what happened out there. But people might be more familiar with UCG, like underground coal gasification with um, Link Energy, because that was in the news very, very recently. So um, they mismanaged their um, their plant in Queensland and um, were consequently um, went to the Queensland state government and charged with, uh, I think it was failure in environmental regulation or a mm. charge that sounded something like that. I am not a lawyer. Yeah. Um but yeah, so it, it's a process that's very, very controversial that ultimately got banned in Queensland, um, but not banned federally. So actually recently, as we speak right now, there is an underground coal gasification uh, plant that's commencing operations in South Australia. Hooray! Yeah, so I found this, I found this out um, 
when I was recently overseas and I was absolutely baffled because I'm like, how many times does this technology have to go wrong in Queensland of all places and now South Australia, what we think of as sort of one of the more progressive states in terms of renewable energy, yeah. is 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 that's happening there mm. and it's sort of baffling to, why, to think about. But why would, what would the big sell be on uh, on UCG, I mean, um, is it the fact that you don't have to go and dig whopping great holes to pull it out and then burn it? I mean, yeah. Or is it, is what it a specific coal? Once it's yeah, burned, is it a so specific this, this, type of coal that's not uh, worth pulling? My, very basic understanding of geology: the coal sitting there and it, it's solid. I'm assuming when you've burnt it, there's a a gap left. Yes. So there is there is a cavity, and part of the um, part of the environmental management is to do with um, controlling subsidence as well, and what. Actually, this goes into sort of geotechnical. I'm not going to go nerd out about this, but basically the types of rocks on either side are generally quite competent and they'll, they'll hold it up. So generally things won't, won't collapse, um, but that is something that has actually happened in other countries where they've trialled this technology. It hasn't uh. been proven to happen in Australia, but it has happened in other places. But they say, oh, no, don't worry about it. You know, it's fine. But, um, yeah, your house won't but- fall in the hole. <laughs> not too quickly. Yeah, but, but um, why but is it not extracted? Is it just the type of coal that is it? Is the big sell on on it that you know? Well, let's not get all the trucks in and all the detonation and pull it out like we traditionally see with a coal operation. Is it? Is there an argument that it's cheaper or it's a coal more suited to being? So it's a it's a combination of a few different things that are a lot to do with the the specific geology. But basically, if you have a, a coal deposit that's a too deep. So um, it may be beyond or right at the barrier of something. You don't really want to dig up a giant hole, you know, something that's, say, lower than 200 metres deep. Mm -hmm. Um, The coal itself might not be of great quality. It might not be what we call metallurgical coal, which is the coal we use to make steel, which is the one that's worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It might be just thermal coal, the ones that we chuck in power stations, so it's not worth as much. Um, so the basically it's sort of like cost management, just like what's if we can make a buck off of this, if we can do this sort of quick and dirty dirty technology where we uh-huh. burn it under the ground, no one sees it and we just pump out the gas, you know, we can make a few bucks off a resource that otherwise would just stay in the ground. Yeah. You know, when capitalist logic it makes sense. Like I mean <laughs> You know, you, you don't have you don't have to have a lot of you don't have to have all this earth moving equipment. You don't have to deal with a lot of the different environmental regulations to do with making an open pit coal mine. You don't have to hire as many people. Yeah. So you're basically you're you're, you're left with, with these quite small plants. Um, at, at the end of the day, if if the technology works, that would just be producing gas, which in turn would make you money. So yeah. that was that would that is the rationale behind why you would do it. And in South Australia, just quickly specifically, um, I could I could theorise that one of the reasons um, they're doing it specifically out there is they shut down Hazelwood, um, as a lot of us know, the the power station out there, and they have these massive coal reserves there yep. um, that they can't do anything with because there's no power station there anymore. So in their infinite logic, they thought, well, I know what we can do to utilise this coal. We can burn it under the ground and siphon the gas off and sell it. <laughs> You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3RRR. Jed and I in the studio, we're chatting with Nicola all the way down from uh, 4Z in Brizzy and uh, we've been discussing um, UCG and a whole bunch of stuff around coal up in Kingaroy where she's originally from um, and we were discussing her documentary at the Coalface. Um, we got a little bit off topic, sort of, but um, <laughs> let's, let's bring it back. 
in the, the in the the radio doc, it's about a twenty five minute um, audio documentary, and there's two characters that pop up in it. Two fellows. One is your dad, with his background in working in uh, coal mining, uh, and in a power plant. Was he an electrical engineer? Yes, he was an electrical engineer. Electrical yeah. engineer. The other fellow who pops up is the guy who put up the very pro coal sign. Can you? Sorry, I haven't got the thing here. What does the sign say again? More. More mines, more jobs, more future. More mines, more jobs, more future. That's almost like a, a Trump rally. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's poetry. Um, so those those two fellows almost are the, like the perfect example of, of what the, the community there seems to be about. Because your dad, you were saying off air before, from where he was many a year ago as an electrical engineer down at the power plant to where he is now, maybe to tell a little bit about the two stories of those fellows and you know, as, a, as a backdrop to the, to the town itself. Mm, I think it's really interesting that you picked up those are sort of the two the two stakes at, at the end and sort of everybody else in the documentary sort of a, I guess, sort of a string along the middle of people's um, opinions that uh, go between these two characters. But um, with my dad, my dad uh, is, well, was an electrical engineer. He's retired now. But um, for, for essentially his whole career, he worked at coal-fired power stations, upgrading coal-fired power stations uh, for a couple of different uh, companies. So I was initially born in Rockhampton. Um, and there's a couple of, uh, well, there's a lot of coal mines and there's a couple of power stations out there called Stanwell and Calide. So we moved around that area. Um, he moved overseas a lot, uh, looking at power stations there. And eventually we ended up in Kingaroy, um, where that power station is now. And what's sort of interesting about my dad and part of uh, the reason that sort of influenced me to make this documentary is that he worked in that industry for so, so long, you know, at coal-fired power stations who's dedicated his career to doing this and at one point he he just stopped and basically realized that what he was doing maybe you know that wasn't what he wanted to dedicate his life to he didn't want to dedicate his life to burning coal yeah so he inevitably he he retired and i don't know if he'd agree with me saying this but i you know he's quite quite the environmentalist so um uh he lives out um uh, with my my family who have sort of uh, this property just outside of Kingaroy, you know, that's run entirely on solar panels. They grow all their own food. You know, they have their own livestock and stuff like that. So this sort of um, self-sustainable, semi-self-sustainable sort of lifestyle that they live now. And that the idea that you could come from a background where you are 100% ensconced in an industry that is essentially pro burning coal, pro-burning fossil fuels, making money off that and then doing the, a whole 180 and coming out of it as someone who's an environmentalist really intrigued me um, and sort of plays into what, what I do to this day. And so this other character, um, I call him Mr. Bailey because I'm generally too afraid to say his first name because he's a bit intimidating of a guy. Um, he's a guy who owns an earth-moving business uh, in this area and as far as I know has sort of lived around that region um, most of his life and um, he's very representative of sort of the the sort of layman of this area like the general populace of this area which is people who are very much blue collar uh, workers who who really want mining not necessarily because they're pro coal but because they they simply they want a job and they Mm. want to provide for their children they want them to have a future one of the big underlying sentiments people would often talk to me about is that they would sort of point at me and be like, if we had 
uh, something to provide our kids jobs, they would they would stay here. You know, they wouldn't have to move to the city or move yeah, away. Yeah. And inevitably, that that is that's what I did, right? You know, mm-hmm. I I moved away from my community and I moved to the city to study coal geology. Um, so, you know, it's it's this real underlying um, factor there that the the coal mine really it breaks apart people's sort of motivations. Like, do you um, are you willing to sort of sell? sell your your land or your environment or your atmosphere or that sort of lifestyle this farming lifestyle for a future mm. which brings you know which is re- realized in the sign where it says more future or are you willing to sort of um sacrifice a job or sacrifice your future the future of your children to not have a mind there and that's incredibly existential yeah. <laughs> idea um that that the sign sort of portrayed, and people, there are a lot of people who are against the mind, obviously, who mock the sign and say, you know, more minds, more jobs, more future doesn't even make sense. But to me, I was just like, I think that's an incredibly interesting idea because you can think about it more like no minds, no jobs, no future. And mm. that's what those people really believe. They believe that if someone stands up and says, we don't want to mine here, they're actively working against the future of, you know, their families. Mm. They're threatening, like, the future, their own future. So, and that's something it's inc- so incredibly complex. And I feel like if you're, you know, green environmentalist, you know, young person who lives in the city, you know, like me, you often don't really think about that sort of point mm. of view. Yeah. And, and what would you say the split is? Is it fifty-fifty in 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 Kingaroy? Uh, you know, the feeling whether there should be a mine or not. Definitely, from my perspective, fifty-fifty. What's interesting is when I first went into town, I, I expected it to be mostly pro, yeah. uh, because of the nature of the town being very conservative. <laughs> That's what I would have said. Yeah. yeah, like you would think that, but when you really sort of candidly talk to people, and I don't ever put out sort of what I personally believe because i believe the people that community should really decide for themselves it really is 50 50 and but the biggest part is a lot of people are actually quite undecided like they sort of step back and they go well if it happens it happens Hmm. you know i'll you know it'll probably help the economy but if it if it doesn't happen you know maybe i'm not going to cry over it sort of thing so there is quite a big margin of people who actually maybe not undecided but they sort of sit back and they they're not willing to have an opinion because there's these really aggressive, defensive um, people on either end who are either battling for it or against it. So it's very much, it's really not a black and white issue. It's very much grayscale. And one of the motivations of me making this documentary is that I really couldn't find any media out there that presented coal mining in a way, in this way. It was either sort of very much against it, like no coal, coal kills, shut down all coal mines, Mm. Or it was, you know, sort of industry propaganda stuff where it's like, oh, we just want the jobs and it helps the community 100%. There's no, you know, what's climate change? I don't know what that is, you know. So I really want to make something that really showed that, you know, from a balanced perspective, you know, what this community is and what it is, it's not really pro-mining, it's not really anti-mining, it's somewhere in between and that that makes sort of challenges our perception of... um, what is pro-environmental, what's anti-environmental, yeah. what's good for the people, or what isn't good for the people? Yeah, well, in, in the absence of of mining out there, I mean, what what else does the area? I mean, obviously, a place like a power station or a mine. Um, although we should, you know, if we're, if we're really going to go down that path. We would discuss automation. We t- talk about all sorts of things like that. Um, but outside of you know the mining and the coal station, what what else does the area have in terms of assets, resources, employment? I mean, it's a farming area. We mentioned earlier that 
that's a peanut peanut farm area, which close to my heart. Jesus, I could eat some peanut butter all the way to the bottom of the jar right now. <laughs> but um, what, what else is out there? I mean, is is it is it in your from your perspective, having sort of gone down the rabbit holes there? Would the end of mining in that particular area be quite broadly crippling? Well, there are. It's interesting you say that because there are a lot of people who live in the town who actually commute out to a mine called New Acklands, which mm, is mm. Oh, maybe like an hour and a half away. Um, who who work out there, and there are people who obviously work at the the quite much closer power station and coal mine there. And the thing is, with the the power station, the coal mine, they are sort of coming up to their expiry date themselves. And I say that not in a way where it's going to shut down tomorrow. It's probably going to shut down sometime in the next ten to fifteen years, yeah. simply because the coal deposit there's you know it's quite small, yeah. um, and the power station itself is getting quite old. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's costing them more money to sort of keep it upgraded. So inevitably. You know that that is going to shut down, and the community won't have that big slab of jobs. So, I mean, jobs have to come from somewhere, and I expect if the power station and the existing coal mine shut down, it will have significant effect yeah. on the economy of that area, and a lot of people will lose their jobs. And so, there's that sort of underlying fear of that when that happens, if we don't have another coal mine, if we don't have something else, where are we going to be? Mm. And the irony is, of course, that by then. Um, unless we get smart in a hurry, climate change will have got to the point where that land probably won't be farmable won't be the, the way it was. You know, yeah. so um, you know the you know the uh, uh, logical, obvious alternative is to return to farming, mm. but that may not be viable. Yeah, yeah and there's this big sort of. Um, something I sort of don't really discuss in the documentary is is almost a sort of class issue as well that a lot of the people I would say who who are against the mine um, they don't have they're they're people who maybe are a little bit more educated or have moved from the city to the country seeking sort of like this green change Mm. and they feel that 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 lifestyle they have is actually threatened by the mine being there Um, it's the people who who I guess have been in the town longer that maybe aren't as educated who haven't left um, who have the perspective that the coal mine will work for them, which is totally, from my perspective, you know, I think that's totally understandable. Yeah. You know, if that's if that's how you've been raised and you grew up there, and you grew up thinking Sir Joby Olke Peterson was, you know, a, you know, one of the greatest heroes Hell of, of a guy of Australia. You know, you 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 have that perspective. So, and the question is, well, sh- should should we change the should we change the opinions of those people and that's something i'm even i don't know like mm. i'm not there to try and convince people that a mine is a bad idea i really do believe that they they are the people who a benefit from it and b will suffer for it ultimately yeah. if it does go ahead and there's the, the obvious inevitability that yeah, if it doesn't shut down tomorrow or next year or in 10 years i mean there is an, an, an built in inevitability with fossil fuels that they run out yeah, well, that's sooner the thing. or later. Yeah, yeah, and this is a very to talk about the geology a little bit. This this basin, the Tarong Basin, is it's not like the Bowen Basin or the Sydney Basin or some of these other coal basins in Australia. It's very small. It's very localized. Mm. Um, so there is even more so in that area, very sort of limited uh, lifetime for any sort of mining in that area. It's simply because of the geology. There's just no, you can't keep mining for for as far as you can in some other places, yeah. say in central Queensland. You are listening to a Triple R podcast. Podcast, etc. 
Uh, she has come down all the way from sunny Brisbane to be with us, and we've been discussing her documentary at the Coalface. is an audio documentary which uh, I will use my Luddite thumbs to try and put a link to. Can I put a link to it? Oh, on yes, our Facebook? of course. NFDS.org.au. Very simple. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Very tech. Um, so we're going to get to something in just a minute that you um, are studying a PhD course in, but you were just saying off air that um, there's a, a solar farm proposal up in the same area we've been discussing up in Kingaroy and that the same people that are opposing um, an expansion coal mines are also expand. So is this the candlestick maker in town has launched this powerful lobby? Um, so so no. So it's not specifically that, that group that it's, that's against it, but there is – a significant portion, it's more when I was on on sort of foot talking to people who were for or against it in the town itself that they were would they would make a point to mention that they were against the coal mine, but they were also against this solar development. Um, so it's a it's quite an interesting and really gives you sort of a good perspective of the sort of state of mind out there is like they really see this as sort of our our land, our farming land. Um, we want to use it for those purposes um we don't want a coal mine but we also don't want you to put a solar development in there and i believe there was someone locally who was like sort of flyering and putting up flyers and people's like um post boxes basically explaining all the terrible things that solar mm. solar would do like it'll drain the, the sun <laughs> no, oh i think it was uh, one of the big ones <laughs> was the the reflections they were ah. very concerned about the reflections and things like this so um obviously that's not the same group that the the organized group who are against the coal mine but in the community itself there is this sort of weird overlap between <laughs> between right, the uh, people who are who are anti-mine and also anti-solar development so sounds like a line from the great comic sarah silverman when she once said i'm for against it so it sounds quite confused <laughs> out there um nicola we were talking when you arrived this evening about what it is that you are studying that uh your industry now this is a little bit unusual because you are both environmentalists um, and coal geek. Yeah, that's right. So w- let's talk about your field because you're you're doing a PhD in geology at the moment. The topic being the specific area being paleoclimate, in which coal plays a massive role in your research. So let's talk a bit about that. What is this field? So uh, paleoclimate basically just means a study of past environments. So I'd say if I had to put my research in a box, that's definitely where it would go. But fundamentally, it is it's it's coal geology. Um, so this is something I've been doing for quite a number, quite a number of years now. Um, so basically, to explain it, we just really need to think about what what coal actually is, mm. and what coal is. It's just it's made of plants. It's made of fossil plants. That's all coal is. There's a few like little extra bits in there. There's some minerals and stuff like that. But you know, for the most part, it is entirely made of fossil plants. So. When we think about a piece of coal, for instance, um, it's it's if you look actually very carefully at a piece of coal, which I'm sure that's something Scott Morrison hasn't done. Yeah, but if you actually just throws look, it around, but he doesn't understand. Yeah, it. The, if you look very carefully at it, it has a whole bunch of layers. If you actually look at say the top of a piece of coal or the bottom, you might actually see an impression of leaves or of bark. And so each of those layers is is a plant fossil. So if you think about a coal seam, which is something that might be say ten meters thick and extend for hundreds of meters, maybe kilometers, you're thinking of thousands millions of of plant fossils that are preserved there and what we can do is we can do sort of regular paleontology and through understanding what types of plants are there and how they change over time we can understand how the ecosystem changed millions of years ago um, when this coal was originally forest when it was being formed and the sort of second part to that 
is that the plants themselves, so they're taking carbon dioxide through photosynthesis, so they trap the the record of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere in their bodies so we can actually do um, geochemical analysis on the coal and we can see specifically both things like the source of carbon dioxide where it came from and also the concentrations of it in the atmosphere when that plant was alive Mm. so for my particular research we look at coal uh, that's about 260 million years old and during this period it was very interesting because we went from ice house conditions so an ice age to greenhouse conditions and the actual atmosphere that we saw 260 million years ago is very very similar to the one we're seeing today so in understanding how those plant communities change and how the um, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere changed during that period we can actually try and understand how our plant systems today and how the carbon dioxide today will change Mm. so it's directly sort of applicable to sort of active climate change So there's one uh, particular example that's really good from a project I worked in in the past from a sort of different time period where we know that um, there were volcanoes that actually extruded um, lava onto coal and burnt the coal, put it into the atmosphere and caused a mass mass extinction. So something my supervisor likes to say is that the coal industry caused a mass extinction and killed everyone about 252.8 million years ago. So you, if you can actually use coal itself, which seems illogical, to, to actually look at how climate change affects the world and its ecosystems. So. And you were talking before about different types of coal. So that depends on what the plant matter was? Yes. Yeah, so that's the main... There are a few main sort of... Um, uh, terms that we use to describe uh, what type of coal, what the type of coal is. A lot of it is to do with the type of plants mm-hmm. um, and its age and also its thermal maturity, which basically means how much it's been cooked. Mm-hmm. So if you bury something very, very deep, um, it's going to get hot, it's going to get under pressure, so the thermal maturity will change and it changes the type of coal. But fundamentally, um, a coal can't be a thermal coal or a metallurgical coal, so something we burn or something we use to produce steel, without it being sort of from a certain community of plants. So if you can understand the plants and the time period those plants grew in, you can understand the type of coal you end up with and what you can use it for, fundamentally. So sort of I come from that background where we can both, we can look at coal and we can understand what we can use it for in industry, but that links directly into paleoclimate and what the earth was like millions of years ago and what type of plants were there. That just blows me away. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. And so that's something I'm really passionate about is because, um, you know, as someone, you know, I'm, you know, I can say, say frankly on a show like this that, you know, my opinion is that we shouldn't be burning coals to produce energy. I don't, don't believe we should be doing that, mm. you know. But when people say are like totally against coal, I think, and say it's toxic, I think a lot of people also don't understand sort of fundamentally what it is and the other uses that we have for coal. Mm. So most of the coal that we mine in this country isn't to put in power stations, it's to produce steel. And really there's no other efficient way we know right now in our society of making steel other than using coal. So anything that you can think of that involves steel has to use coal. Mm. So I think there's a lot of um, this perspective in the industry that all oh, all these anti-coal people they're so stupid don't they realize that we use coal to do other things as well and i don't agree with people making those broad assumptions that you know if you're anti-coal you're stupid 
Um, but I think it is something that's worth thinking about is that coal does have other uses as well. And we can use it in instances where we want to uh, understand past environments. So, but yeah, so it's, it's coal is to me, I love coal and I think it's so interesting and it really has a really bad reputation that's built from basically the industry being generally quite awful. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the actual matter, the coal itself isn't evil or, you know, terrible it's what we do with it and what society does with it that turns it into something that's that's hurting us cool i want to get a thing fact checked because i spoke to a guy a couple of years ago um and he said to me that when the three mile island uh disaster occurred in the united states that was a nuclear plant Plant, facility went awry he said that um it spewed x amount of radioactive material into the atmosphere but that that radioactive material from three mile island alone was one 150th of the same amount of radioactive material put into the atmosphere every year by burning coal in the united states so can you fact check for me what what is he saying is he saying that like i mean with when they when they utilize uh, uranium for uh, nuclear energy it's very contained it's hyper hyper safe and all that sort of stuff but um to what degree is coal quite simply just being burnt and emitted and what other unknowns are we burning and emitting when we burn coal so i have some interesting things well things you might be interested in hearing about stuff like this but in terms of things that are actually radioactive that's incredibly rare so in in coal itself you really wouldn't find very many if any minerals that are actually radioactive and the thing with uh, radioactive elements or uh, isotopes that are in minerals is that they degrade quite fast so they Mm. become non-radioactive quite fast Um, so with coal itself um, it's no more if you stood next to for instance a piece of granite you'd be undergoing a lot more radiation standing next to a piece of granite than you would be a piece of coal because granite 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 contains a lot of (laughs) radioactive uh, compounds Mm. um and that's why we use it for geothermal energy so for instance you know granite we drill down put water down there and Mm. it's actually the radioactive decay of the elements breaking down in that granite that produced the heat to make geothermal energy in some cases there are other places it's not like that but broadly in australia that's true so i would say i can't say specifically if that's correct but and I can tell you that radioactivity isn't sort of the main concern about when we burn coal and what we produce. What we're worried about is things like phosphorus and things like fluorine. Um, so these two uh, elements are really important because when we burn them, uh, we produce um, basically toxic compounds that can go into the atmosphere that can negatively affect both you know, our atmosphere and affect people's health and the environment. Mm. Um, so I always think about this sort of story that my dad used to tell me about uh, working at power stations and they have these things called clinkers, I think they're called, and basically it's huge stalactites of mineral that grow inside um, the furnaces that they burn the coal in. And that's because inherently you always have a little bit of mineral mineral in coal. Um, sometimes it comes there from when the plants were there, sometimes it comes there later through different ge- geological processes. But when you burn the coal, even if you have a tiny bit of mineral in that coal, it it doesn't burn away in the furnace, it stays there. So you grow these massive stalactites, you know, these massive like pillars of rock that grow inside the furnace and they physically have to send guys in there with, you know, with massive like poles and stuff to like and picks to no get shit. the clinkers out of the mm. out of the furnaces and I think of things like that and I find it absolutely horrifying and I'm just like 
that's the stuff that's left over. Think of all the stuff that's actually going into the atmosphere. Mm. The thing is that with minerals and coal, it's quite complex. Um, it's it's something we don't really understand very much because minerals make up such a tiny percentage of what's actually in the coal because most of it is organic, it's plants. Mm. So at the moment there is research going on trying to understand like where these elements and where these minerals actually come from and are we able to detect or uh, predict where they are because at the moment we, we have a lot of difficulty trying to say if we look at a piece of coal whether it will have something bad in there. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.